listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 214, Blackmore's Night, Shadow of the Moon, Part 2. And coming to you from baseball season here in the suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to ye from the suburbs of ye old Providence. I'm your co-host, John Giant Turkey Leg Matola. <laughs> and coming to you from the suburbs of the great city of Boston, Massachusetts, I'm Rich, still on a high from Fenway, Shaler. And coming to you from the ever-growing streets of construction in Las Vegas, I am Scott Flood of Podcast Haskin. <laughs> oh, Flood of Podcast. Very appropriate. Just, yeah, you're, you're just inundated with the number of podcasts you have to do how many podcasts are you doing today uh three today uh we recorded two episodes of backtracks aerosmith revisited last night and then after this one uh i've got two more wow so, which yeah. would explain why i suggest after my appearance on his show doing the gillen album uh gillen glover album and i said hey we that was really good like we work really well together we should do something he's like nah no, we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yes, I think we will. Uh, oh, and, and uh, well, as of, as of the time that we're taping this, starting next week, uh, our three-part Ghostbusters review with uh, John Matola starts. Oh, Ooh. oh, yeah. I'm jealous of that one. One of my favorite movies. Yeah, Fun one, yeah. Don't worry, oh, Nate. We got, like we got so plenty coming up. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, all right. Yeah, what a, what a day. Last time I, I, I we, we, Got together. It was like freezing cold here, and now it's going to be like eighty degrees today. So it was a great night for baseball. Nice. Baseball, not the kind of baseball Rich has been at. I didn't get to sing the national anthem, Ooh. and it was a little bit. Um, it was uh, I don't know quintuple A level baseball, my son's little league. So we, um, yeah, we we had a beautiful game last night. Beautiful weather. Another. Well, actually, they had a tie. So, they're, but they're doing pretty good this season. But uh, Rich, I'm, I'm very, very happy I have girls. But one of the big disappointments is I love little league baseball because kids play with such heart. Yeah, and didn't really get to see any of that, you know, with my kids. Sadly, yeah, it's a, it's and a it's lot weird of fun. if you just go stand and watch <laughs> little boys play baseball with, with, with sunglasses <laughs> and a hoodie on, <laughs> and the van, <laughs> and the van to put it over the unmarked van. Uh -huh. worse. <laughs> How come that guy's oh, the ice cream that truck? Has no plates. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, good tip. Um, <laughs> hey, come here, kid. You want to see a puppy? <laughs> Note to self: Looking to why Nate knows not to have plates on the vehicle. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I had uh, <laughs> I had the experience of a lifetime. Um, I got to sing the national anthem at Fenway Park. Obviously, the oldest baseball park in the country and you guys obviously as well as myself growing up in the area that's sort of like the i don't know it's almost like a church mm -hmm. <laughs> in boston i mean it has that mm -hmm. kind of it, it's just got such history and being able to even walk out on the field to me was exciting uh let alone standing in front of the uh the crowd and being able to sing our national anthem it was it was awesome just incredible very cool 
Very cool. Yes. Yeah, you well, did a fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah, we couldn't be Thanks, proud guys. Of Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. that was. Uh, I appreciate all the great feedback you guys gave me. It meant a lot to me because I know if I had screwed up, you definitely would have told me because <laughs> I have it coming. <laughs> oh, Rich, that was a real stinker. <laughs> well, hey, hey the, you know, hey, it, was, the, it was it was really good. Except, you know, that one note, like that's almost worse than like, hey, you completely screwed it up. It's like it was great. Ex- oh, that one note just you know, ruined the whole thing. Yeah, when when my guitar players would ask me what I thought of their solo when we were at rehearsal, I would say something like, well, except for all the notes you played and the way you played them, it was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And and in all fairness, that's something you would totally do. Oh, Oh, yeah. No doubt. (laughs) I would would say the the greatest praise of all came from Pops because I sent sent him the video and he responded back, Rich sang it the way it should be sung, not all of this BS of trying to jazz it up. <laughs> and I, t- I told John, like, that to me, that's the best. I got a, a bunch of people actually said that to me, and that means the most to me because I, I really believe that the national anthem, there's a way to sing that song, mm-hmm. um, and you really shouldn't mess with it all that much. It would have been and great I, um, if you did like a totally different year. I'm going to do it in uh, seven, eight time. I'm going to, I did a new <laughs> arrangement. <laughs> well, when I sent Rich the screenshot of uh, Pops' text, he said, um, he said, uh, yeah, I'm glad I cuddled the Mariah Carey runs that I usually do. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to show off. <laughs> I didn't want to go into my whistle voice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. So anyway, the Deep Purple podcast is 100% listener supported and ad free. So um, if you receive value from our show, consider giving us some value back. You can check out deeppurplepodcast.com for information on that. You can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can buy some merch at our Etsy store. You can become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. You can also support us on Cash App, dollar sign DPPOD, or support us on Ko-fi. Um, so, um, speaking of people that support us and uh, all of that, we have a patron upgrade. That's right. Another patron upgrade. This one comes to us from Michael Bagford. Um, he's upgrading to the $6 and 65 cent almost evil tier. And he says, you guys want 66 more cents from a month for me? Well, here's an upgrade for you. I love the show and appreciate all the hard work that goes into it. Also, it's important uh, that the Warhorse albums are showcased on the show so people know to avoid them like the plague. Keep on space trucking. Oh, yeah. I love yes. that this show about Deep Purple has inspired people to self-promote their levels of evilness. <laughs> yes, he's almost evil. He's, he's an aspiring evil person, but it is um, – yeah, it's – I feel like uh, – I feel like like we do do a good service for people. Like I, we've probably sold, you know, a fair number of albums over the years of people that were like, wow, you know, I'm actually going to pick that up. I never thought about it before. But yeah, then there's definitely somewhere like, thank you. You just saved me the trouble. Of, <laughs> I may have looked out for that one. But so it's a double edged sword, I suppose. Has Warhorse climbed up the charts since this uh, podcast started? Yeah, I haven't seen a big splash on uh, Amazon record sales or. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's right behind Dark Side of the Moon for. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah, every so Archive often when they, releases. they release one of those, it's like it all of a sudden it's, it starts charting, you know, like Dark Side of the Moon, 50th anniversary, it's charting again. That'd be great if Warhorse was like, wow, it's number 28 <laughs> on the Billboard Top 40. <laughs> Jesus. Why is that? Who is this band? Dance um, Remix. <laughs> Uh, more like number 828 
828 would be pretty generous, I think, 15 years (laughs) after release. Um, But speaking of our patrons, uh, our executive level patrons coming in at the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis Nakfi and Purple Maniac. At the 15 Squid tier, Alan Ain't Too Proud to Beg. At the $10 Good Doctor tier, Dr. Jill Brace and Dr. Mike Catan. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, Clay Wambacher, Frank Teelgard Mortensen, Mickelstein, Will Porter, PhDPP. At the $10, someone came to here, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, and Better Call Saul Evans. And at the Hughesoween by 2033 tier, Mr. Fielding Fowler. All right, so we left you off last week uh, with the first half of the album, and we're going to obviously cover the second half today. But before we get there, we do have something to uh, take care of. All right, that's right. It's postcards from the edge of Connecticut. Uh, who are they coming from this week? Uh, well, actually, it's it's a little different. Uh, this week we have. Um, you see this postcard here? It's a kind of old little house interior there, um, and the handwriting looks a little different this week. It says, "Hey guys, here's the interior of Pete's house for you. Thanks for guessing on our show. It definitely didn't rot." Signed the Roback. So the Roback sending us a um, a postcard, and um, this is the interior of the Butt Off Williams house, a frequent <laughs> uh, <laughs> a frequent um, uh, mention on the seventies Weekly Countdown. It says Butt Off Williams house, circa sixteen ninety two, owned by Antiquarian something society. Sorry, the postmark is over that. Open daily yeah, except BS. Mondays, 12.30 to 4 p.m., <laughs> May 30th through I, November 1st. So they're opening soon. I think uh, next time we're in Connecticut, we're going to have to stop by the butt-off Williams house. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's not all. We have another postcard with slightly messier handwriting. This one is the 70s Weekly Countdown cardstock postcard. And hey, it says, look at that. I got one, too. Oh, you did, too. Um, well, I'll read mine first. Or do you want to read okay. yours first? No, you, can, you, you read yours. They might be the same thing. Okay, it says... <laughs> Nate, now here's a thank you for you. You and John were wonderful guests on the 70s Weekly for our one-year episode. Thanks, Pete. All right. I got um, John. Thank you for guesting on the 70s Weekly with Mark and Pete for our one-year anniversary. You did not sap. (laughs) Here's a thank you for you, Peter. There you go. And for anybody not familiar with... um, with their show, one of the ratings uh, is "Sap," which is a sappy song, uh, like a a love song or something that's so sickly sweet that we can't give it a good, bad, or neutral rating. It's just sappy, just too sad, and a lot of sappy songs in the '70s. So check out <laughs> me and John's guest appearance, episode 52, the year anniversary, where we reviewed the top 50 songs of the 1970s. It was a lot of fun. It was. All that's right. Absolutely on my to-do list for today, while podcasts are rendering. <laughs> I was going to say, when are you going to squeeze in listening to a two-hour podcast in the middle of doing three two-hour podcasts? He uses that He uses that function where you can listen to it at like six times the speed. Yeah, he must, have, yeah, right, he must yeah. have a way he can record at six times speed, too, and and then somehow slow it down so it sounds normal. Because I don't know how else he's getting all these shows done. I, I just want to go back. You said that picture at the butt-off whatever butt house. Um <laughs> <laughs> the butt off butt house <laughs> was from 1672. They did not have cameras in 1672. Oh, 
uh, Rich Rich got them on a technicality. They're lying. <laughs> That's he's he's maybe right about it's that. a maybe it's a picture of the recreation of it, and it's from sixteen something. But the picture is from you know the nineteen hundreds or something. Uh, well, they should, might be they should something clarify like that. that. They should clarify <laughs> that. And I was thinking that. And I was also thinking, you know, how many kids probably went there like on field trips over the years. Oh yeah, you'd think they'd want to just name it something other than the butt off, whatever. Was, <laughs> well, I guess that was his name. <laughs> that was his name. It's great. It's like you know, Randolph, butt off, Rudolph. There's a lot of offs they could have went with, but they went with butt, butt off, Williams. And I guarantee there were some stroganoff jokes along with that on at least ten or twelve buses. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's, it doesn't look like a particularly big house, so I don't know how many people can fit in there. But next time I'm in the area in Connecticut, I'm gonna have to um, I'm gonna have to stop by the Butt Off Williams house because I've been hearing about it so much over the years, and I have like six or seven postcards from there at least. Well, you'll have to let us know if it's the cavalcade of fun that it appears to be. <laughs> it does look, yeah, what do they got here? They've got a chair. It looks like one of those like little uh, sewing spinning wheels or whatever they call it. They've got another chair, a bed. I mean, they, they got everything at the bottom of William's house. <laughs> well, if, if you don't want to travel that far, there's the Kathleen Richards house in Wenham, Massachusetts. Seems very similar. Very. Yeah. Just I believe they house. also have a bed. I believe they also have a bed warmer. Do they have a, do they have a, um, do they have a, a, a gift shop at the butt off Williams house? I wonder. No, of course they do. You can buy a little, <laughs> Um, a little right key you with your name on it. This is Butt Off Williams' house. <laughs> In one of those little rocks with the googly eyes on it. <laughs> you know, when I went to see the bodies exhibit, that was the concern I had. About three rooms in, you kind of get it. You know, you're like, okay, now I'm just going to see the same thing over and over again. And I started thinking about, there's a gift shop at the end of this. What the hell do they sell? You can get a spleen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A commemorative spleen. Yeah, like a, you know, like a, 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 you know, like a little kid's plushy spine or, you know, skull or whatever. Uh, it, it was it was fairly like half scientific and half toys. But you start thinking about that kind of stuff. Like all they're doing is like they're just reposing actual human bodies. What could they possibly sell at the gift shop? And that you became can, my obsession through the other 18 rooms. And I don't remember anything else I saw. You don't remember you the gift shop? You can buy your own... Uh, your own John Doe and, and make your own at home. Yeah. <laughs> DNA discovery kit. This is like um, <clears throat> talking about body parts. I was at a, a physical therapy for my arm earlier and, and places like that always amuse me because just very casually you walk in and there's just like a skeleton in the corner and it's got like a ball cap on. I'm like sitting down and there's like a computer and there's like, you know, there's like a femur just like sitting there next to the keyboard or something like a, I'm just like, you know what I mean? And they're just like, oh yeah, let me move this thing out of the way. Like it's nothing. If you saw that shit anywhere else, you'd be like, just random body parts and bones and everything, because that's what they that's what they're working with all the time, you know. Yeah, they'll just so have this a, like model of a, like of of a of a torso, and they're like, ah, here's where your liver is, and they just rip it out, and they're like, yeah, yeah, over here is your bile duct. And you're like, ah. Every what time, I'm, every time I see one of those skeletons, I grab it and I start singing the Happy Days Pump Your Blood song. <laughs> I just do that thing where I put the quarters on my arm and try to grab them as quick as possible. <laughs> uh, I just think of that so, guy. What was that guy that wore the bodysuit that had all the 
organs oh, on it? Yeah. Mr. Oh, yeah. Mr. Disturbing. Mr. Body or something. What was his name? <laughs> Not sure. I know exactly what you're talking about, though. Yeah, he used to be on, like, the. he was on, like, kids shows and stuff, and he was, like, mm-hmm. he, he had, like, a skin-tight bodysuit that had all the organs and everything and bones and it looked Muscles, like he was. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I forgot what his name was, like, Mr. Body or something. It was. Really I'm, I'm just realizing that there's a thin line between a doctor's office and a haunted house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. True. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I actually Mr. saw that Mr. Body guy in a van over by the baseball game. Is it Slim Goodbody? You're going to say down by the river. <laughs> no, nah, that can't be it. No, Slim Goodbody, somebody else. Anyway. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So here we are. And yet another uh, coming to you in the early morning hours. Well, not that early. Especially yeah, it's, early. it's early. It's early. It's almost lunchtime. Earlier for me. than usual. Early for Rich. <laughs> yeah. So um, when we when we last left you off, we were discussing um, writing on the wall, the uh, the the disco ABBA track from the album, <laughs> um, and we're on to the second half of the album. So um, you guys ready to get right into it with the Renaissance Fair on the nose, um, an on the nose track, Renaissance Fair. We already do that one. No, pretty sure we did. No, I think no. We left off with uh, writing on the wall, right? Yeah, we no, did. Um, then we went back. Oh, because we skipped one. I'm sorry. Minstrel right. Hall. Mm-hmm. We went back to. I yeah, think. Right, 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 right. No, minstrel. Yeah, we did Minstrel Hall, but we did not do Renaissance Fair. So okay. Right. Yeah. No, I knew no. we went out of order, and for some reason, I thought that was the one. Yeah, gotcha. which I'm I'm expecting to basically be Minstrel Hall, but outside. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right. Followed All right. up by pint of mead. All right. <laughs> Get your flag. Bring on the turkey leg. Your flag is <laughs> at the ready. And here we go with Renaissance Fair. And this is no, another. So we tri- can do this one <laughs> like seven what? times. We've already done this one like seven <laughs> times. <laughs> so this is a traditional, another traditional song. And it was written by um, Thielman Susato, who lived in the very early 1500s. But obviously, Blackmore and Knight have cre- Blackmore and Knight have credits on this for the arrangement and the lyrics. Love the guitar sound. You know, if anything, this episode would be ideal for my cough switch not to work. So I just belch in the middle of one of these songs, <laughs> liven it up a little bit. <laughs> let's, let's still hope that that does not happen. It'll just sound like we're at the Ren Fair. Yeah. <laughs> Have enough turkey leg, you'll be belching for sure. <laughs> there's there's some really weird part of me that wonders because because this was really as far as I know Candace's first big recording yeah and I, I would imagine there was an element of nervousness I wonder how many times she had to record parts or if she just kind of like Got it and went in and did it or, you know, took her a while for some of the songs because this her pitching is so flawless with the music. I know there's some stories of like 
people that were a little microphone shy or whatever, you know, recording in the dark or in a closet mm. where no one could see them or lying down on the floor. And I don't know if they had to use any of those tricks. Yeah. Or Ian Gillen, who just takes all his clothes off and starts recording. <laughs> Make sure the lights are on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Spotlights are pointed appropriately. So this is the same based on the same thing that was composed. Uh, the composer is the same guy who did the clock ticks on that they that they repurposed. And that this is another song by him. I noticed there's a lot of waltzes uh, in this style of music. Yeah, it would make sense, right? That was a nice. And is she doing all the backups on this album? I can't remember if you said there were any other vocalists. I think the only other vocalist that is mentioned is that that guy. So I, I um, the guy that was Richie's guitar tech. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any mm-hmm. other. Well, let's see. I don't think there's any other female backing vocals. So it sounds like our voice. Yeah. She really layers nicely. I like that the brass is really subtle, too, because I feel like that's something that they could have mm-hmm. pushed and ruined the song with. And it's real brass, which is good. Mm-hmm. The band's really tight, too, because this is some technical playing. Yeah, well, like we heard that uh, that song where Richie and uh, Ian Anderson were going off mm-hmm. in unison there. It was crazy. Yeah. All right, come with me to the Renaissance Fair. Who as uh, so, John? Have you been to the Renaissance Fair before? No, I don't. Never been to one. No. So, so you're not there right now, then, is what you're telling us? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm kind of there. Okay. I got Captain America behind me because we we go every year. So, um, yeah, we, um, we no. It's yeah. Jen yeah. and I were talking about it last night, talking about specifically about you going to the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, do tell. <laughs> oh, just just like you know, I guess there's different levels of what you need. Like, there's people that are dressed up and in character the whole time, and then there's just kind of like, then there's people that are in a different character. Like, for example, maybe dressed as Captain America or like as like some super goth kind of person or it's like, so there's like lots of different layers of the people that are being historically accurate. The people are just dressed up as like fantasy, like wizards and stuff. People who are dressed up as Marvel characters or Darth Vader. You just never know what you're going to see. But then there's like just the normies that are dressed like, there are some so kind of like showing up in people. jeans and jeans and a sweatshirt. Yeah, and then like, there's me, right? I'm, I'm showed up exactly <laughs> like I look right now, but you know, with, with shorts on probably, um, uh, and just with with the kids and having a good time. So it's like you see all of these different, all of these different levels. And we remember one 
time, like these people not try. We were sitting down at a picnic table trying to have uh, lunch and like these guys at the next table over were in full character trying to talk about their websites, but trying to stay in character too. It's like, oh, yes, have you used the the, the, the new scribe system? Oh, yes, you enter in a, a, a series of letters. It st- usually starts with three of the W's. Oh, yes, my good sir, I have used that. And the, so they're trying to exchange information about each other's websites, <laughs> but they can't admit that they're not, you know, in the 1500s. Um, so there's, and we always just, that's like our, our quintessential Renaissance fair memory is these two, <laughs> these two nerds <laughs> who can't just break character for even one second. Um, uh, no, is the, the, um, the, what is the one out here? King Richard's fair. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and, um, I know that like, you know, when I was younger, my friends and I had wanted to like, they have been like, oh yeah, you know, it's like a thing to do or whatever. But we, we talked about going, never went. Um, and now I have even less, <laughs> less interest, not so much that it's a Renaissance fair, but that there are people around. So, you know, it's, yeah. um, yeah. Well, I, my idea of John going to the Ren fair is John getting out of the car, getting halfway through the parking lot, looking around and just going, nope, and walking back to the car. <laughs> I'm good. You're, you're missing out on some poorly staged jousting, my friend. <laughs> well, the well, one by us, the, jou- is, the jousting they do is actually really good. It's incredible. They do so, like an amazing job. So we usually get there at a certain time. And basically by, by the time he gets huge, by the time you get to the back where they do the jousting, it's usually around lunchtime. We see the joust and then we kind of start making our way back. But it's uh, it's impressive what they do. I mean, they're riding those horses full armor, like full speed and hitting each other with those lances. It's it's crazy. I know a couple of people that actually do that. I, I don't know what it's called, but they do the fighting where they dress up like knights, like mm-hmm. really full, serious, heavily weighted armor yep. and actually beat the shit out of each other, <laughs> like with, with real weapons. <laughs> and Yeah, dinner theater. Um, I've only been to the Ren Fair one time. It was, uh, I think it was the year that I moved to Phoenix and uh, I didn't, I just didn't enjoy it. It wasn't a thing for me, uh, but I did. There was a comedian uh, ventriloquist called the Dead Bob Show, which was a lot of fun. It was him. He, the guy was like a henchman, and he had uh, a hoodie, a big hood over his head, and then he had his little uh, dead guy puppet. And uh, he just passed away recently, which is a, a bummer. But the Dead Bob Show was absolutely the only highlight for me, and and there were a lot of people making candles. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if we wouldn't go. I don't. I'm pretty sure we wouldn't go without the kids, but we started going. The kids are young, so now it's kind of our annual, annual thing. It's pretty good. It's mm. pretty fun. I went. I went early on just because it was, seemed do-ish, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, and uh, then I, you know, same thing when you know my kids came around. We went a few times with the kids, and yeah, it was always fun. And I actually, that dead Bob guy was there. Mm. Um, you know, they must hit all the Renaissance fairs as they happen. And uh, he, you're right. He was really funny, and, they, and you know, like. They have little girls, so they had like you know, princess going around sprinkling fairy dust and stuff, and yep. the kids loved it. And yep. um, yeah, the uh, but the jousting is no joke, man. Oh yeah, they, those guys, those guys could really get hurt if oh, yeah. somebody messes up <laughs> even slightly. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it's the, they're, they but know I what also, they're doing. I get, I crack up by how seriously some of the people take it. I just can't. Yeah, I, I, I it just it over it. I can't help but mock them. 
because they're just being so serious about it. You know, the king and queen, you know, make way for the king and queen. And then you're like, how dare you look at them directly? And like, shut up. I like like the Ronnie Ronnie James Steele thing. Quick copy. They should should take like a loom and call it the never ending wheel as a tribute to Ronnie. There you go. (laughs) I love it. The one that the, the part my kids still talk about to this day, though, was the mud pit. I don't know if you guys have that. Oh, yep, yep, yep. And, like, they still, I think they still have nightmares about it. The guy eating the mud, they're, like, wrestling around the mud, and the guy takes a big fistful of mud and eats it. And the kids are just like, oh, how many days has that been there with people rolling around in it? It's not like it's clean mud. Aside from the fact that it's mud. (laughs) Right. Oh, man. Uh, Anyway, sorry. Sorry to go off on the tangent. Who wants to, John, are you going to kick us off with your rating for Renaissance Fair? Yeah, I'll kick you off with my horrible rating. Um, no, it's actually not horrible. Um, I didn't think it was. Um, I didn't think it was that bad. Actually, I'll, I'll give it a. Um, I'll give it a three. All right. Yeah. Um, nothing. Uh, nothing objectionable about it. But uh, it's like if you like, I can't pick up anything new new that's been happening. Like I feel like we're not in for a lot of surprises here. All right. Uh, let's go with Scott. I'm actually going to give this one a four. Um, much to, much to John's sadness. I'm sorry, John. Uh, I really liked it. I I thought it had just a a great flow to it. It's a really elegant song. Um, I love the, the recording. I think the, the way that they captured the guitar really on this whole album, uh, is, is fantastic. I think what I'm learning is the thing with this style of music is that once you're 20 seconds into the song, that's the song. And it's pretty mm, much yeah. just going to be that for the most part, maybe a change or two, but it's just going to be a lot of repeat of that feeling. But there was there was some great vocals on this one. I love the layering. I, I love that little technical part where she has to switch really quick. Uh, I thought it was very beautiful. All right. Mm. Rich. All right. Hold on to your hats, everybody. I am going to give it a five. Oh, wow. Oh, well, right. a- I'm surprised. With a two point in front of it. So two point. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, well man. played, Rich. Well right, played. I, got I, was buckling, I was buckling up to her like, wow, what's the Rich must have this long history with this song. There's going to be a big story behind it. Well, I, I'll be honest. I'm torn between a three and a 2.5, but it really does nothing for me. It's very well executed. As far as the genre that they're doing, it, it's really well done. Like there's nothing to dislike about it. I, I like the little run that Richie did in there a couple of times. And I agree with you. The brass actually sounds good on this one. It doesn't sound fake. It, it, it has, it's just the right mix, but I, the chances of me ever going back and listening to it are basically zero. Mm-hmm. So 2.5. So there's a chance. All right. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't go back for anything lower than a four. Um, I, I will give it a two. Um, I, I, this one for, this one always kind of stood out to me on the album as just being, you know, it's, they're doing what they're doing with this, with this traditional piece. And there's, there's nothing really objectionable about it, but to me, it's, it's the, the tempo and the pace of the song. It's very, it's very mild. And, and like Rich said, for this style of music, it's, it's, you know, if you were, walking through the Renaissance Fair and you heard this, you'd feel right at home and this is exactly what you'd expect. But um, yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't grab me the way that some of the other songs on the album do. So that is the 
reason for my my ranking. Um, there is a little uh, little note about this song. So on this song, Richie plays the mandolin, and he has a quote about it. He says, I went to the secondhand guitar store and said, I'd like to have a mandolin and a manual on how to play it. He said, they had a mandolin but did not know how to play it, so I played it like it was a guitar. So... It's reasonable. Worked out just fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Give, give Richie an instrument with strings. He'll, he'll be able to make something happen with it. Yeah, he'll figure it out. Um, okay. So the next track up is called Memmingen after the, uh, was it a city in Bavaria? Um, or town? It's a town. And yes, it's a town in Bavaria. Sure. Here we go. I like how Nate throws that out like he didn't look it up. <laughs> well, no, I, I threw it up. I said, is that, a, is that a town in Bavaria? Then I looked it up and said, yes, it is a town in Bavaria. <laughs> something something German. Um, so here we Sounds go. Sounds like a pastry. A memonian. Memonian. Whenever I hear mm. Bavarian, I just think donut. With extra icing. Mm. Mm, cream-filled memonian. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. And this is an instrumental by Blackmore. Just a very subtle keyboard track in the background. Mm, yeah, very faint. Mm-hmm. Just kind of gives it a little extra something without like being, um, you know, intrusive. Mm-hmm. Couldn't even tell. It almost sounded to me like vo- like vo- very faint vocals, um, like a little choir almost. But it was it probably was like a some sort of flute patch on a synth or something like that. But it's very, um, yeah, very subtle. Mm-hmm. Kind of matches um, Can- Candace's vocals um, a lot. It you know, sounds yeah, she, she kind of sounds like a pad mm-hmm. at, at some points. At first, I thought it was just like her triple tracked or something. It might it might be for all we know. Could um, be. But yeah, so pretty short one. Uh, Richie says Memmingen is a medieval German city. On the city square, a kind of theater play happens every four years. Everyone is wearing antique clothes. The setting is authentic. Really fascinating. I have been there once and dedicate the song to the tradition. Hmm. So there you go. What do you think of uh, John? You want to kick it off? Mmm, cream filled lemon. <laughs> <laughs> Going into the song with that, I'm like, okay, now I'm laughing. Um, uh, you know, three point five. I thought it was. Um, I thought it was really good. Um. I didn't, I didn't find, uh, like, if you listen to it on its own, I, I didn't really hear a lot of traces of <laughs> Renaissance music, which is probably it's his best rate. Um, That's why he likes but it. But you know what I mean? He didn't like, he didn't, um, he's still, he's still Richie. You know what I mean? It's just like, that could have been on a, uh, that could have been on uh Deep Purple album. It could have been, uh, you know, the, <clears throat> you know, the beginning of like, um, um, 
uh, soldier of fortune or something like that. You know what I mean? So, um, but I mean, he's still a great acoustic player. It was a nice little piece. Um, didn't seem tied to any kind of style um, um, overtly. So um, I liked it. All right, Rich, what do you think? Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. 3.5 on that one. It's sort of what I was hoping this album was going to be before I had heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Richie playing that type of stuff. Um, reminds me a little of uh, the Triumph song there, Petite Etude, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. I don't know if you guys remember that one. It's just a little classical piece. I used to love that in high school. Though I'd listen to that nonstop and pretend I was playing it, which I clearly wasn't because... <laughs> <laughs> was very good. Um, but yeah, the, I, I like this because he's just, it seems a little more in his element. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I can picture him just whipping this off like it was nothing too. So, Oh yeah. Scott. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree. 3.5. Um, I, I kind of want more. It, it just was like in and out really fast. And uh, I, I would have liked maybe another change or something in there to yeah. make this a longer song. Cause I, I, I was enjoying it. Um, I I love the fact that Richie understands the use of space as much as he understands playing notes. You know, he he's he's good letting notes ring out and and just letting music breathe, which is so important. And uh, and I've heard him talk about that in interviews too. The his his understanding of space, um, but I, I really liked it. I I kind of wanted more. That's a really good point. Actually, if the mm. if there had been a, a change, just. You know, maybe it sped up a little bit or there was a second piece to it and is even, you know, 30 seconds a minute longer. I probably would have given it a four, four yeah. five even. I have noticed, too, that with with this style of music, I, I, I've seen a lot of this and it's similar to like the Roma music I was talking about last week. But there's like the main note and then below and then above. And it seems to be like that's the the a fairly consistent foundation for a lot of these songs. I'm going to give this one a four. I really like it. Um, Mm. I'm finding like now that we're doing this kind of more critical analysis of this album, that the songs that are a little darker, a little bit more minor key, I I really key into. But the ones that are just do 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 do, they're very like bouncy and like I don't care for that. When we're talking about, I guess, Mm. this medieval or Renaissance music, I don't gravitate towards those Renaissance fair type songs but the the songs like this or the shadow of the moon um or minstrel hall i i feel like i there's something about that that resonates with me a lot better um so so that might be and i think a lot of people thinking about this kind of music maybe think more about those more upbeat songs and for some reason those don't speak to me and i don't know why that is but you mean like those those regal trumpet blaring yeah, the ones that are just more, I mean, it just sounds like they're just more in a major key and the ones that are in a minor key, I really, I really do like it for that kind of music, but I don't really care for it as much for in this style of music, I guess. I don't know why that is. But, yeah. I thought bouncy was a good word. <laughs> That's sort of yeah. what I thought. It's like, I don't know if you guys remember that old Saturday Night Live thing. Give me a C, give me a bouncy C. <laughs> um, that's, I, I agree with you. Like the ones that are a little bit more like dun, 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 yeah. are harder to say. And they all sort of blend. But um, I didn't realize it until you just said it. But I guess it is the minor key that I kind of enjoy. When you first walk into the Renaissance Fair by us here, 
one of the first things you see is they have the big maypole and then the people are like dancing along and there's music that sounds like the last song, Renaissance Fair, and they've got the strings and doing whatever the hell you do with the maypole. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when you hear that, like that's the, the kind of stuff that people could dance to and like, you know, take their dresses and do the little like sachets to the side. That stuff I don't care for as much, but the stuff that's more that you could picture like a harpsichord playing along with or, or, or playing the stuff, that stuff I like. And why that is, who knows? Mm. The more frosted tips Matola music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who knew that? Uh, who knew that? Like major key music could inspire anger. Um, <laughs> it makes me so mad. <laughs> <some people. laughs> like, Turn that shit off. It's <laughs> well, 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 we'll have to keep track. But I, I wonder if those aren't the the songs that are more uh, brassier too. Um, maybe. And know. that and might I, be part of what you're not liking about it. And maybe it's just like the style of the music is just, you know, in other styles of music, like in rock music, I have no problem with a upbeat, happy, major scale song. But mm-hmm. um, in this style of music, for, there's something about that kind of waltzy, bouncy, happy sort of thing that I don't care for. I wouldn't say it makes me angry like Sean did, but it, it just doesn't doesn't rena- resonate the same way. Nate walks in, see him dancing around the maypole and sashaying, and he's just seething. Like, <laughs> yeah. When we go this year, I'm going to be like, boo! <laughs> well, that's boo. just heckling. That's just being a dick. Yeah. And then Your someone in the crowd will be... Sucks. Someone in the crowd will be going, is that boo or boo earns? <laughs> Doth that that be it boo earns? Is that boo or boo dree? <laughs> been called oh, that now, is, it true that, is it true they named the tree maple after the maypole? Because mm. that was the kind of wood they always used for it. That's a very good... Uh, I, I don't know. I but, literally just made that up. But see, I, if you I, say anything with enough conviction. Hey, <laughs> I, I think it had to do with the month of May and it, not, it, the, definitely, not the syrup. Definitely something. <laughs> not the syrup. <laughs> um, all right. I'm putting uh, it in Wikipedia anyway. <laughs> I was just I want looking some it up gem. on Wikipedia. And this is why some. we trust Wikipedia as such a solid foundation <laughs> yes. of information. I always check to I see, if see the some last- kid. If the last edit was by R. Shaler 69, I, I, I take it with a grain of salt. I want, I want to see some kid put it in his uh, book report, sixth grade book report. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Thanks, Ralph Wiggum. <laughs> Next track up, No Second Chance. That sounds like uh, anyone's daughter. All of a sudden, that little slide. That might have been the last time he did that. Mm. Is that on the strat, do you think? Yes. Sounds, Sounds like, like it. it. And this is uh, an original by, Bla- by Blackmore and Knight. It's going to conflict Nate because it's kind of a bouncy minor key. <laughs> so far, I'm really liking it. <laughs> kind of reminds me of Turn the Page by Bob Seger, oddly enough. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of hear that. <laughs> it's so funny. Just picture Candace singing Turn the Page. 
They are known to do covers. I smoke the day's last clove cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) I smoke the last turkey, like. remember the first time I saw one of those turkey legs, I thought, I don't want to meet the turkey that came from. <laughs> Some of them are big. <laughs> My son gets one every year, too. He does pretty good work on it. That's a lot Here of meat. Are. It is. You ever that uh, from uh, from uh, KFC? They had mega leg one year. Mega leg? Oh. Mega is just a fucking chicken leg that was as big as you, and you're just like, are chicken chicken legs supposed to be that big? And sure? they're like, I don't think so. <laughs> well, you know they 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 breed chickens to have like so they're like huge breast meat so they can hardly walk. Maybe there's some of them that went wrong and they got these huge legs. Like I'll just save them. We'll we'll think of something marketing wise to get rid of them. <laughs> They, they didn't skip leg day, bro. Oh, just doing squats and really beefy. Why does the Seems word like cobbled a- see, um, seem obviously appropriate here? <laughs> I feel it like seems this- like there's better use for that technology, the giant breast thing. <laughs> it, it's like the press board of meat. I feel like this is like the style of his playing on this is what would win over a lot more Blackmore fans that were unhappy yeah. with this direction. Yeah. Well, this this calls back to his style of playing that we're more um, used to. His classic uh, slide playing that's really, really nice. It's, it's very Temple of the King-ish. Yeah. Like when that, you think right of that solo. But I like the percussion on it, too. It's, it's really gentle, but it keeps the song moving. Now the keyboard um, tambourine is bumming me out a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a little too perfect. And I don't know what that is that's, maybe it is a snare. Whatever's filling the spot of the snare sounds. I think it's a rim shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the sound of it. That's the one thing I, I have to say when, when people program percussion, and I hear this a lot, is that they they usually program like one or two measures and then just copy and paste it. Yep. So it sounds exactly the same every time. And I, I don't like to do that because I want everything to sound like it was played live. So sometimes you're going to hit it a little harder, sometimes not as hard. It, it's got to feel alive to sound real. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, the... Uh program that I use that we're using to record right now yeah I'm sure yours might too it just had you can change the velocity of the hits mm-hmm. for yeah. each one so you can just kind of randomize them a little bit which works right. really well but I think I think songs like this Shadow of the Moon is another example where you could imagine this being on a rainbow album with oh yeah Dio or whoever singing it probably mostly Dio era stuff yeah yeah I can't hear Joe or or Graham singing this I could but, picture Dio singing this I could even I even was like kind of heard Coverdale a little bit in my head singing oh, uh, yeah. singing this mm. I think he's, Doogie, he's been, Doogie could now Doogie could yep. do it yeah yeah I mean this this really would have fit well on Stranger in Us All yeah yep 
but it's it's interesting because on this you have this you have Candace's voice, which we've said before is just so angelic and and soft and just very very nice. It gives it you know you don't have that grit that you would have with one of those other singers, but a lot of the times that works really well um, for for the style that they're going for, and she does a really yeah. great job on this song. But she is singing a little bit more pronounced than in some of the, like a little bit less smooth and angelic and there's more, you know, enunciation. Mm -hmm. She's she's singing with a, like a little bit more of an edge for her than she has on some of the other songs. And uh, I think that might be in part why it feels a little bit more like a rainbow song because it's not that just gentle flowy vocal, like, like a curtain billowing in a breeze. It's, it's more like, you know, here's the lyrics and I'm singing them. Yep. She sings like a poet because yeah. every word's important. Mm-hmm. She makes every word mm-hmm. equally as important. And that's not necessarily, you know, what yeah. we're used to hearing. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you get right lyrics like I'm a rock and roll, what is it? <laughs> I'm not a rock and roll preacher. I'm yeah. Sunday school teacher. <laughs> like you try to bury or busy as a bee could be. I won't leave Gillen out of it either. You know, you tend to try to bury some of those lines <laughs> or yeah. I'm going to slide it in right to the top. <laughs> yeah. No, he should not be proud of that, but he is. <laughs> yes. that, that's, that's a good why point. he says and slide it in, slide it in, slide it. Yeah. He sings that like a poet. <laughs> He's so subtle. So a dirty subtle. poet. But I think, uh, I think, um, yeah, like in rock music, there's so many misheard lyrics or just like, what is he saying right there? You can't really tell. And th- there's th- never that I- issue with her. She, she enunciates everything perfectly. Like she sings yeah. the, even though we talked about like, maybe she, you know, she's probably a little nervous as this is a first recording, but, and how she's grown this confidence over time, but she seems to always have had confidence in the lyrics and delivering them, uh, in that way and not, not ever trying to, uh. You know, busy as a bee, <laughs> bee sort of thing. <laughs> Although I know I don't mind that line as much as you do. We've talked about that before. <laughs> All right, John, what do you give? Uh, no second chance. All right, everybody, hang on to your linen trousers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm gonna give this one a four. Ooh, John's first. Um, four. This is probably by far my favorite so far. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, I mean, first of all, obviously, because it's uh, it's very reminiscent of a, a classic Rainbow, classic Richie. Uh, we get a uh, we get a great uh, solo from him that sounds. Um, I, I think. Uh, did you say Scott like Temple of the King type yeah. of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which I thought was really uh, great. But um, the other thing um, in this too was is that um, I think I picked up on another thing was is like uh, Candace um, was. I, I think she had a, a little more dynamics in her vocals in this song, just a little bit. But also another thing that I picked up too is is that the the um, what the the chord resolutions aren't always like satisfying, and in this song they were. It's like when you expect you expected to go from this place and then resolve to somewhere else. And you're like, ah, that feels good. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> you know? And it's like, and they don't do that. And like, that's why most of the songs I'm expecting it, or I want it to go somewhere and it doesn't, I'm like, eh, you know, and then, and this one, it does it kind of that kind of minor thing. Um, I think at the end of the chorus, um, mostly. And so it's like, I, I just feel like the, the, you know, the, uh, the, the chords and the melodies resolve to something maybe a little more traditional, I guess, maybe that's what, you know, grabs me more but um but yeah i agree that this would be at home on a classic rainbow album uh some some good playing um little a little bit more of what 
I guess I would have hoped that more of this album would be, but um, this was some good stuff. Awesome. Scott? I almost dropped my tankard when you gave that rating. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go 4.5. Um, I think this was one of the best songs on the album so far. Uh, in thinking it, in terms of Temple of the King, it was like all that playing on the first string with no distortion, just that really clean, warm sound that he that he has. And it's just so classic, Richie. Uh, but I love the song. I thought it was, Candace's performance was great. I love, absolutely loved the mix on this. Um, yeah, I, I agree with, uh, with Rich on the tambourine. I see what you're saying there, but, uh, I think it was just in, in general, it was enough to push me through to a 4.5 and it was a great song. All right, Rich. Um, I think I'm going to go 3.5, although you guys almost swayed me to a four, but I'm going to go 3.5. I loved the Richie playing on it. Um, I liked the way she sang it better, less sing-songy. Um, but I still don't see myself going really back to that song to ever listen to it. I mean, if it was on, I would enjoy it, but I, I would never be like, oh, you know what song I want to listen to? So for that reason, it gets a 3.5. All right. I will give it a four as well. I really, uh, really dug that one. I think, um, yeah, that style. I'm looking back at the songs I've given higher rankings and they all seem to kind of fit in this mold for the most part. Um, uh, I, I, th I think I just really like their originals a lot more than I like the... And I know that they they do a pretty good mix of taking traditional songs and other covers and things like that. But I, I, I think I just gravitate more towards their originals. I like I like their songwriting and how they structure their songs. And when they write songs in this style, I, I really dig it. Well, if you if you think back to the way Richie handles covers in general, like take a look at Still I'm Sad. When you listen to the original, it's almost like a funeral dirge. And what yeah. he did with that song was absolutely amazing. Um, I didn't care as much for the remake as I did the original one from Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, but uh, he really can, he knows how to take an idea and turn it into something else. So I would be curious to hear some of the traditional versions of some of these songs that they've, you know, kind of given new life to and, and compare and see what he's really done with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Richie says of this song, um, he says, I like to play a solo on stage. Otherwise, I hold myself back. On the one hand, a long solo would have ruined the song. And on the other hand, I did not want to sound like a guitarist from our time. Most guitarists hit a song with a solo as if it were a tank. In my opinion, the melody, so to speak, and elongation of the vocals should be up front. I think he kind of nails that on this one. Um, oh, that's true. I mean, you like li listening to the the section where he did the solo. And like, as soon as you said that, I thought, yeah, he could have like really cranked up the gain and just did like a really emotional, like uh, uh rock guitarist solo. Or and done that, his normal Richie opening. <laughs> <laughs> falling down the stairs. Yeah, exactly. He could, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that, that could have been really easy thing to do. It would have been really cool. But, you know, I respect him for sticking to that. And I mean, the, what he did was uh, works, works for um, for his style, too. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about I thought it was good. what a guy like Ingve would have done with a song like this. It would just be, you know, <laughs> even at that tempo, it would still be 500 notes per measure. <laughs> at least a lot, a lot of abrupt stops. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. 
<laughs> the, yeah, the ending. <laughs> Those little bursts of sound, yeah. <laughs> All right, the next song up is Montans, which is um, basically German for moon dance. So here we go, mm. Montans. And this is an instrumental Blackmore. It's a wonderful night for a Montans. <laughs> Wait, did you say Mooties? <laughs> it's a wonderful night for Mooties because he's screwing somebody else over. The music, the music he screws people over to. <laughs> when he's ignoring your calls about the fact that you can't get into your uh, rental property, he's just bopping he's along. He's listening to this in the dark. So this reminds me of so our friend Paul's dad um, was the minister at our church, and he had mm-hmm. just walls and walls of classical CDs. And this sounds like something in his study. And this is like something I could just hear coming out of his study that he would be listening to as we were playing video games in the other room. Mm-hmm. He listened to a lot of Renaissance music. His um his study actually looked probably like the backstage at a Blackmore's Night concert looks with like crumb horns and recorders <laughs> and oh, wow. penny whistles. <laughs> we should have had him on here as a guest. Now that I think about it, he's so into Renaissance music and then this sort of stuff. I wonder what he would think of it. I know, right? He'd probably, but he's so intellectual, he'd probably be like, well, actually, this is rooted in the blah, blah, blah. And he'd be going real deep. And in the meantime, we're sitting here going, hmm, cream filled them again. (laughs) Why is Richie's foot on fire? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Trill Master is back. Yeah, it's just, his playing is just incredible. But see, when when I hear something like this, I really do think back to a lot of his solo work in the in the early days with Deep Purple, when he would just have his own moments yep. and everyone else is going, like, this is the kind of stuff I hear him playing. Yeah. I like the, I really like the claps they're doing in the background there. Well, now I think they might be keyboard claps. Yeah, they kind of do they sound have that. too perfect. Perfect, yeah. So I'm, I'm changing my mind on the claps now. <laughs> <laughs> Turncoat. You can just take the S off and say you like the clap. The clap. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, that doesn't sound good either. <laughs> it's a good song, though, the clap. As, as we're going through song after song, I'm, especially with some of these uh, more traditional ones, I'm, I'm really seeing patterns in the progressions. It's like they had you know two or three different foundations for the songs, and then they just built on them from there. Well, no, see, those sounded like real claps at the end, weren't they? Like, no, it sounded like people popping bubble wrap or some shit. <laughs> John, John's favorite thing at the end of the song, and they're all like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> clapping. Yeah, except this is very polite, possibly keyboard or bubble wrap clapping. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Like eh, uh, golf okay. clap. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. There's that. There's that part of me that says, did they do that for just production's sake and 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 time and money and all that, or did Richie go, yeah, we're not putting fake claps on my album. I mean, it sounds like they were fake, though. Yeah. But, I mean, wouldn't you be fairly consistent if you were just sitting there doing this? But it sounded like the exact same. Like, you you get yeah. a group of three people to clap at the same time. There's going to be, like, little imperfections where someone's mm-hmm. a little off or someone's. And those just right, sounded, yeah. everyone sounded exactly the or, same. Or they just had one person clap and they multi-tracked it. That yeah, yeah maybe too, that's yeah. it. And they, yeah, they just put like a chorus or a de- slight delay on it, and that's why it sounds as right. And that be. would explain. Then at the end, each each track, they just clapped. You know what I mean? So it sounded. Yeah. To, it, to me, so it, it sounded, sounded like, like a, a, a at the end, like a sampled clap. But that seems like a really weird thing to do when you clearly have many people involved with the making of this. They could have thrown on a microphone and done one take of people just going right. Yeah, <laughs> it's not hard yeah. to do. Um, but anyway, um, John, what do you think of Montans? I think I think he owes me my money. Oh, that was Mootees. <laughs> Mou- no, we, we know what you think of Mootees. <laughs> um, this one it didn't didn't hit me as much as say the the last one. It was um, I don't know. It just felt like it was kind of filler, I guess. So um, yeah, two point five. This one. All right. It was just okay. Rich? Oh, three on this one. Um, I always like when Richie's playing. I On this one, though, it has that repeating, you know, that one part that keeps repeating the dun, 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 dun. Yep. And if he, in between each of those, just did one of his patented, like, going off the rails fills in between those just to make it more interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a perfect vehicle for him to do more soloing. And if he did, I'd probably probably get a much higher rating from me, but a little too much of the samey same. So yeah, three. Mm. All right, Scott. I'm going to go 3.5. I think this was another one that just had a great feel. It does feel very traditional uh, with the, with the main progression, but uh, I I really liked it. It was, it was just moving. It uh, didn't really, it wasn't moving like in a relentless way, but it just kind of carried me through the song very nicely. And uh, I really thought Richie played great on it. All right. Um, I will give this one a 3.5 as well. Um, I really liked it. The only thing I didn't like is if those are real claps, they sounded automated to me. Um, mm-hmm. I would like to hear like three people actually clapping, but it just took me out of it a little because when you're when you're dealing with like r- authentic sounding Renaissance music and then you have something that sounds sampled, at least it, it kind of takes you out of it a little bit. But, um, you know, even though like something like writing on the wall worked really well with it, even though it was like a disco drum beat, clearly um, <laughs> that worked well because it was trying to. But this sounds like a very traditional like chamber. It sounds like chamber music. And to, to throw that in with that was a little strange to me, but I really like the song. I really like it as I think it's a really good instrumental. Um, the next track up is called Spirit of the Sea. You can hear the sea. Hear the waves. Very on the nose. Ah, seagulls. There you go. Is that the same sample from Love Help Me? Very, yeah, very shades of deep purple <laughs> sound effects. 
And this is um, another instrumental, Blackmore Night. singing for an instrumental yeah did i say it was an instrumental yeah sorry i think you meant original i got you <laughs> well except for the vocal parts you know yeah. not a good not very good as an instrumental so far not not meeting the mark but it is an original yes See how the little runs he's doing in between is kind of what I wanted him to do in the last song. Mm. Yeah. very much a storytelling sort of song. the song is about what is the spirit of the sea who is it um i haven't been listening to the lyrics but i'll venture a guess that her boyfriend or husband or whatever died in a shipwreck there you go and so now he's a spirit of the sea all right i'm updating the wikipedia on this song right now (laughs) (laughs) sounds good to me His ship was sunk by the maypole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, now that I'm looking at the lyrics, I think you're spot on with that analysis. Really? I was just making it up. (laughs) No, I think you're right, man. (laughs) You know, he went along on a maiden voyage. Like Rich said, say say anything with enough conviction. It's it's <laughs> right. You know uh, the lyrics. It's uh, it's almost like he knew he wouldn't see me anymore. Oh he, yeah, there you go. He, he looked so deeply mm-hmm. in my eyes and said, "Wait for me along the shore." You know. 
Wait, she's alone at the shore? I'll be back. <laughs> he just didn't say how long she'd be waiting. <laughs> Quite some time. It's a sad, sad song. All right. Spirit of the Sea, John. It was um, it was all right. I'd say I'd give it a three. It was um, it was it was like um, it was a pleasant listen. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing I, with I got, anything with her vocals is always pleasant. She just has such a like a gentle, angelic sort of voice. It's like you can't you can't listen to be like, oh man, this is <laughs> you're not going to get something that's objectionable or something that's like oh it hurts my yeah. ears. <laughs> Too hard, yeah. No, yeah. Like, listen, like if Candy Gibbons was singing this or something. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus! Oh my God! Can you imagine? Have you Have you guys seen the clip? I think it was Marvin Gaye. There was a bunch of musicians on stage, and there's like John Lennon and Marvin Gaye and Yoko Ono's beating a some kind of drum. It's no, it was Chuck Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry, and then she she pulls out the microphone and starts making the most hideous sound, and the look on his face, Chuck Berry's face, he's like, "If you weren't filming, I would cut her throat." (laughs) And I thought, yeah, this this is why everybody hates her as a singer because that's what they think of. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like yeah, he he's giving the look to her like, "You're lucky, John Lennon's here right now. He's he's saving (laughs) you." Uh, oh boy, uh, Rich, what do you think of this one? Um, yeah, I'll go three. I, I actually liked it. I like Rishi's playing a lot in it, and it's it. I'd add it to like a mellow playlist. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where it's just kind of in the background, and you mellowing out to mm-hmm. it, and because it's nice, and and I enjoyed it. But it's the first song I really heard the nervousness in her voice. Or the mm-hmm. lack of lack of confidence or something that I think if she re-recorded it now, she'd probably give it a completely different delivery, um, having the confidence that she has now. But it, she sounded a little more vulnerable in this one. Maybe she's trying going for that for the song, but it it's mm. it came across more as nervousness than it did um inexperience, I guess. Mm. That's interesting. I I took that more as the the longing and the loss than I did nervousness. Like I I felt that was part of the intended performance. Um, I'm going to give it a four. I thought it was it was a good story. I thought she really made me feel like I was kind of like next to her, feeling her longing. Uh, again, great playing from Richie. The only thing I didn't like was I, I thought the, the background was a little bit louder. I would have liked a little bit more Richie in the mix and a little bit less of the background. But other than that, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I don't know if it's my setup, but I feel like on some songs, her vocals seem a little low, like they, they should be brought up a little bit more in the mix. I don't mm. know if it's an EQing thing or maybe it's just what I'm listening to it on right now. But um, I would give this one a 2.5. I think it's, you know, an average song for them. It's a little too, even though it is, again, one of those kind of more minor songs, I think it's a little too the tempo of it and everything. And I generally don't gravitate well to like story songs like this, um, mm. probably just because I'm stupid and don't really listen to lyrics very very well um neither do i yeah but neither does rich but somehow he 
<laughs> correctly <laughs> guess what the song is about. He, Rich doesn't need to listen to lyrics as he's just proven. I can feel it. You can I just can feel, feel it. it. <laughs> you can feel, yeah, exactly. You could feel what she was delivering. So, well, before we get to the next song, I have a little bit of Maypole trivia. Oh, for you guys. <laughs> so, because. I, I respect the deep dive of the Deep Dive Podcast Network and, you know, how, how you know, Nate, you always dig for these little facts. Okay. According to the dictionary, uh, the maypole is a painted pole decorated with flowers around which people traditionally dance on May Day, mm-hmm. holding uh, long ribbons that are attached to the top of the pole. And uh, uh, the sentence is, the school children dance around a sh- Oh, I just ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. School children dance around a pole, um, but yeah. So it's uh, it's related to May Day. There you go. So more of like a, a winter mm. is over kind of dance. Well, at the at the Renaissance Fair when they do that, they they have all the ribbons and they they do this dance around each other and get them tangled in a certain way. But then they mm, dance right. the dance in reverse and get them all untangled. It's actually kind of cool to watch. And there's some perv hiding in a bush that's really enjoying that. <laughs> Tangle those ribbons. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least I know what I have to do later. Put Scott's face in a bush. (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't be the first. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. With that, we're going on to uh, green sleeves, not 16th century. This is 20th 20th century. Funny, he calls his version of green sleeves 16th century green sleeves, and he calls this one regular green sleeves. But this is regular green sleeves arranged by Richie Blackmore, composed by the famous composer Anonymous. (laughs) I love his work. Hey, that was uh, a <laughs> what you call it? That's right off the. That sounds like something from a Stranger in a Saw. Dun, 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 dun. No, it's um. Oh, it's Anya. Anya, yes. Anya, yeah. yeah. You know, from Stranger in a Saw. <laughs> yeah, the the famous Stranger in a Saw track. <laughs> Yeah, see, this is the kind of shit that I don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just, just get your four point five rating ready to go, John. <laughs> I do feel very much like this is a drum machine. Could be. Oh, come on, let's do those ghost notes. <laughs> <laughs> They're so ghosty, you can't hear them. <laughs> I really feel like this album is pretty eclectic. I, I feel like they're really trying to figure out what they want to be, and they're just saying, all right, here's all the different things we did. Let's put it together on the album and see how it does, as, as opposed to some of their other stuff, which feels a little more, okay, here's who we are. You know, but it's it's the band's first album, and it's a different style for Richie. You know. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like the hard stop and the gypsy. You know, and this. I like the way the guitar is really cutting through the mix here. Yeah, I could do without all the oohs and ahs. Okay, th- this is Anya. 
Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, really, should we should we be appalled? I mean, with the amount of stuff that Richie has borrowed over the years or reused. Yeah. Yes. Including from himself. <laughs> well, he's not shy about admitting it. That's that's the thing is he's not, you know, like doing it and pretending it didn't happen. He's, he's right. pretty but vocal about when he does it. What's well, funny I'm with from, you, though, Scott, it's, I'm it's like, it's clearly Anya. Yeah. <laughs> It, well, and yeah, and it's stealing from yourself is better than stealing from somebody else. But it's funny because as right. we we're recording this, like just yesterday, they had this big like lawsuit with Marvin Gaye and Ed Sheeran. And uh, Marvin Gaye's been uh, a state has been suing anyone that does anything that sounds remotely like Marvin Gaye. Um, yeah, I didn't think that was even I, I didn't hear it at all. I mean, no. In the last one that he did, they actually they actually won. But um, it's funny because they're like he. Blackmore admittedly ripped off things left and right and, you know, and made them something completely different, but um, with well, no I, lawsuits. I the, and then yet something's like, oh, that sounds reminiscent of Marvin Gaye. We're going to sue you. <laughs> I think the fact that there was no lawsuit over summertime and Black Knight alone right. just kind of says that people were different back then. Right. Yeah. And I think you, you have to be somewhat there's a difference between being inspired but i mean that could very easily be said you you ripped this off <laughs> yeah child but, child in time was like an inspiration but but black knight was a ripoff i mean there's a big difference right. between those two right but all right you know who nobody's suing though is yoko ono <laughs> <laughs> all right. i mean no but i think yoko sued um the b-52s did she no Oh. <laughs> I mean, did the did the dolphins like sue Yoko? <laughs> the, dolphin, the dolphins, <laughs> just just dolphins in general for just being like. After uh, after John died, yeah, well, he was still alive. He's working on a birthday present for Yoko's fiftieth to have other artists record her songs, and they released it. I I gotta say. <laughs> They're pretty good. Some of them are pretty good, just without her singing on them. <laughs> as long as she's not on them, maybe maybe she would have had a better career if she was like a Bob Dylan, you know, just writing songs for and other people were covering them and right. becoming yeah. successes with them, you know. And and speaking of being sued, she got sued for one that she wrote that um, it was very clearly <laughs> stolen. Like there By was the no dolphins. like hmm, I I think I think that one is you know stolen. It was um. Oh God, I can't, I can't think of it. It was like, you know, an old tune, like Hoagie Carmichael tune or something. And uh, <laughs> it was her song, I'm your, up, I'm your Angel. <laughs> oh, Hoagie Carmichael's real. Yeah, He's very a famous. real artist, yeah. I know, just, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> You'll learn more on our new Hoagie Carmichael podcast. <laughs> the, That's right. Ho- the Hoagie Carmichael cast. The Hoagie cast. <laughs> the Hoagie. <laughs> we, discuss, we, we discuss sandwiches and vintage 30s music. <laughs> <laughs> the Hoagie cast. <laughs> All right, this John, week, the Italian coming, coming to you live from Subway. <laughs> John, Ooh. what do you give Green Sleeves? Oh man, I'm gonna have to give this one a two. I didn't enjoy it. All right. Um, not my not my favorite version of Green Sleeves. And, and like by by a long shot, it, it felt too diluted and slick, and you know, just mm. I don't know. And I mean, I like I like green sleeves. You know, it's a um, you know, typically that you um, it's um, it's also like played around Christmas too, right? So, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. I I love that version the best, but this one just seemed too meandering. All right, Rich. Yeah, um, slick. That was a good word, John. I like that. Mm. That's uh, I think that's how I was feeling. What? Uh, yeah. What is the Christmas line? So, what child is this that they do it? So, yeah. like, what child yeah. in time is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, what child in time? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna go two point five. I think it's fine. I did really enjoy some of Richie's playing, but the the layered you know, oohs and ahs really take away from it for me, mm-hmm. which is what I think adds that slickness. Um, I would rather just hear Richie rip, you know, she could have sang the verses the same and it would have been a much better song. All right. Scott. Yeah. I'm actually going to go to 2.5 on this one myself. Um, I, I could swear they've done another version of this that was much more powerful. Um, I can hear her in my mind singing it, but um, I, I this is a song that could be sung with some real passion and, and have some just really good emotional moments. And this was just a, a nice flowing song. And um, if it was a, if it wasn't Green Sleeves, I probably would have liked it better. But I think my expectation for that song is a little bit higher. All right. Um, I'm with John and I'll give this one a two as well, kind of for the reasons that he stated. Um yeah, I like green sleeves a lot too, and I think there's a lot that you could do with it, but this one just kind of, for me, falls a little bit flat. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so next track up is Wish You Were Here. Hey, any coffee money, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> it's still funny to me when people talk about coffee and I hear ice shaking in a, in a cup. <laughs> I'm a hot coffee guy. Yeah, New England, it's almost unheard of. <laughs> I was a hot coffee drinker, too, when I lived in New England. It's like basically, I, I can't tell you how many times I got iced coffee. You ask for, you just ask for coffee, and they're like, here you go. I'm like, wait, this is ice in this. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of my 7-Eleven days where people would complain that the coffee is too hot. <laughs> so this is a uh, cover by a band called Rednecks. Cotton Eye Joe. Yep. Didn't Hoagie Carmichael play with them? (laughs) (laughs) Hoagie Carmichael sounds like um, like a made up celebrity from The Simpsons. (laughs) (laughs) He hangs out in the lab with Professor Frank. (laughs) There was like... um, Frosty's cavalcated jazz stars or yeah, blues yeah. stars. <laughs> to- <right>. Tootsie Childs. <laughs> Hoagie Carmichael. I just saw Tootsie that clip. Tootsie Childs. Uh, Hoagie Carmichael. Yesterday at some crusty premiere where he was beating somebody up and the kid's like, stop hitting him, he's already dead. <laughs> oh no, that was that was Homer that was Homer as Krusty beating up the hamburglar. Oh that's right. right. Yeah, it was Homer. <laughs> Please read my medic alert bracelet. <laughs> it's the name of it's the name of the sub shop that Homer goes to. Hoagie Carmichael's. <laughs> so this song was from uh, an album called um, Sex and Violins, um, which is the same song that uh that the same album that has cotton eye joe on it and um 
Isn't Sex and Violins also a great cat album? Is it is it Sex S E C X or S E C? It's spelled the normal way. Oh. I want to say the great cat had an album called Sex and Violins. The great Could cat. <laughs> Remember you and Paul were like obsessed with her for a while. Oh yeah, she's got a song called um, tw- "Sex and Violins, Twenty Second Century Robots." <laughs> she's out of her okay. damn mind. <laughs> this is why you don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, I don't think she does. <laughs> she's just insane. She makes Ing- she makes Ingve look like restrained and is playing. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> yeah, and I'm not familiar with the original of this, so I um. I don't think anybody is. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it's the same band that does Cotton Eye Joe, though. Yeah, it's very strange. But you, you nice usually when those feelings. bands are like kind of one hit wonders, their one hit sounds nothing like anything else they ever did. So it could be one of those <laughs> situations. They threw that on there as just like, ah, we'll just make this funny song. And it's almost like they hired writers to do one song to get them on the charts. And they're like, if people just hear us, they'll love our other stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why a lot of bands used to do covers was just to get on the radio and get noticed and, you know, hope that that would kind of push them through the door. Kind of like Purple did in the beginning, but Purple did it because they just didn't have time to write their own music. Really like Richie's playing on this one. Yeah, it's really good. It's nice to hear the full-on distorted strat. This part kind of reminds me a little bit of the end of Snowman. Mm, mm. Yeah. So on the Wikipedia entry for this song, um, someone put in... Uh, Blackmore's Night, the band by former XD Purple and Rainbow guitar player Richie Blackmore with his wife Candace Knight recorded a wonderful rendition on their 1997 debut album Shadow of the Moon. So not not exactly <laughs> unbiased, but it is true. Love they... R. Shaler, May 4th, <laughs> 2023. <laughs> this song is actually about the Maypole. Little, few, few people know this. I actually was hanging on that like, oh, what is it about? No. Um, yeah, so just uh, before we depart too far from Hoagie Carmichael, he did write a song or two you might know. God forbid Stardust. we get too far away from that on the Deep Purple yes. podcast. <laughs> I like, listen, and first of all, his name, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. His real name was Hoagland Howard Carmichael. <laughs> Who's named Hoagland? Is Apparently he really a butt off? Him. <laughs> oh, where's his museum? Twin yeah. brother of butt off Carmichael. So he was responsible for writing hundreds of songs, including 50 that are considered um, standards and hits, including Mm. Star Stardust, 
Georgia on my mind. Oh, that's a deep purple connection. Um, the nearness of you, heart and soul. Wow. So not a bad, wow. not a bad few tunes to have written. So he's kind of like a Burt Bacharach. I guess. Hmm. Who's Burt Bacharach? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Love Burt Bacharach. He wrote Smoke on the Water. <laughs> He does now because I just put it in Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let's be fair. We never want to get too far away from Hoagie Carmichael. No, no, Hoagie never. Carmichael. Podcast or not. Well, we've already got one spinoff card <laughs> podcast, and I can see the Hoagie Carmichael cast coming come any day now. <laughs> Scott and Rich have to scrap all their other plans to, to release that one. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm right. canceling my other podcast today as we speak. <laughs> he's like, he's call, contacting all of his other podcasts. Sorry, guys, I'm out. I'm putting everything into the Hoagie Carmichael cast. That's right. Yeah, I knew as soon as I get off, I'm going on Discord and asking people to make connection between Hoagie Carmichael and Deep Purple. Well, we got the Georgia on your mind, or Georgia on my mind one already. Yeah, I, right. I want yeah. the music. I want a musician connection. Yeah, though. I'm sure there's got to be one. But yeah. Um, all right, so John, what do you what do you rank? Wish you were here. Um, I wish I was somewhere else. Um, <laughs> um I, that, that I was, I was kind of bored during it too. Too. Okay. So yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I didn't really hear anything in it that was, um, kind of grabbed me or was exciting. All right. Different. Rich. It's actually one of my favorites on the album. Um, that one in the writing on the wall. Um, mm. I'm going to give it a four. I would give it a 4.5, but I hate the one line in the song. It's not Candace's fault. I'm sure they wrote it this way, but I miss you like hell. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it just doesn't work for me. And I mean, it wouldn't be better if it was heck. I just wish they, you know, miss, miss you, you so like much. Or, that would actually be way yeah, worse. Miss you, yeah. I like, miss you so much or miss. There's so many other possibilities, but just miss you like hell. And I'm feeling blue. I don't know. It just doesn't work for me, mm. but the song as a whole does work for me. I love what she's playing on it. And um, I mean, I think it's just, it's just a nice ballad. I, I enjoy it. All right, Scott. And it is one I go back to listen to. Mm. All right. I am going to give this five casks of mead. Woo! Really? Whoa. Mm. I nice. am. I absolutely love this song. So I have a, wow. um, a, a Christmas wow. tradition that I started Again, because of my now famous white snake uh, love hunter Christmas tree skirt, um, <laughs> that I'm pretty sure I'm the only one in the world that has one for you, some reason. The only person and smart enough to snatch it. one up when they were available. <laughs> Before they were gone, yeah. Um, so uh, every year uh, I drive down to Fremont Street and uh, I pay a ridiculous amount for parking. And I, I go to this one store and I get a Christmas ornament. And I, I'm collecting like a Vegas-related Christmas ornament for my tree every year. And I listen to their Christmas album. And when I get to this song, I just hit it again. I, I have to hear it again as soon as it's over. I, I want more of it. And I think it's beautifully sung. That line, and, and I know, again, they didn't write it, but that line, don't you know the snow is getting colder. I, I just love that isolated feeling it really brings out the longing for me. Um, I think Richie's playing on this is the best on the album. All the little the little fills and feels that he puts in there to uh, to elevate the song. Uh, for me, this is just a, a top notch piece of music. All right. Um, wow. Well, I am sadly going to also give it a two. <laughs> it just kind of for for wow. me. Um, alone. Well, we were all over the board here. Yeah, we yeah. were all over the place on this, on this one. one. But yeah, to me, it was to me, it was just kind of like, um, yeah, just kind of a little droning and 
kind of didn't yeah. didn't really go anywhere. But um, there's some tension here. Yeah, I'm glad you guys liked it so much. <laughs> you want to fight? Them's fighting words. <laughs> but Nate, there's delay on the percussion. That is true. <laughs> I can't deny that. Um, okay, so. Uh, this is the point of the album. Well, this is the last song where uh, the you I have the um, as we stated last week, I have the Japanese version, which features Minstrel Hall bonus track, which is the strings version instrumental um, track on the Japanese album. The U.S. release has the song uh, Possum's Last Dance, <laughs> um, which is another <laughs> instrumental. However, that. Um, is also on uh, Fires at Midnight, their album. So um, I figure we could just go with, we'll close it out with the Japanese Minstrel Hall strings version. And here we go. No possums night, no shadow of the moon. (laughs) Yeah, we sure it's not opossums dance. Yeah, when did that start? (laughs) What, just calling it possum? No, opossum. Growing up, it was always possum. I don't know when they added the O to it. I think it was always an O. It was opossum, but people called them possums. Oh, really? I maybe. Was, maybe isn't I watched opossum too- like an Irish possum. <laughs> hey, Maybe oh. I watched too much of the Clampets. No, yeah. I just think it's whenever you see one, people are like, oh, possum. <laughs> <laughs> like, why is that the only animal they added an O to? Why not a whale? <laughs> or dolphin. I think they took the O away. <laughs> I think that's you're getting hung up on the adding the O. <laughs> now we know Richie plays cello. I wonder if he plays violin. That's a good question. I don't know if the guy from ELO gave him lessons on that too. It came with an instruction manual because that's <laughs> yeah, how you learn a string instrument. Could I have a violin and an instruction manual on how to play it? No, so I just played it like a guitar. <laughs> It's interesting with the strings, it really gives it this more like the sense of like tension or urgency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like if the strings were harsher, this could be a really dark song, too. Mm. I'm kind of sensing a little bit of yesterday. familiar with the the possum's last dance version but um all right john what do you think of minstrel hall the uh the the reprise here this was this opossum's last dance no this was minstrel hall strings versions <laughs> opossum's last oh. dance is on their uh irish album oh, oh we haven't uh, gotten to so yet so i don't yeah i don't know what i'm i don't know what i'm reading here songs of the penny no, oh yeah just read it where possum's last dance is 
Oh, okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with another two. I'm like the, I'm I'm pretty much out at this point. <laughs> Sean has reached his fatigue. Imagine if we'd done hey, all we done all right into the next in one episode. <laughs> oh, let's God, go right. Yeah. Let's go right to the next album. He's, he's vibe for it. <laughs> the <laughs> numbers just keep dropping. <laughs> all right, Rich. Uh, I actually kind of like that, and I definitely like it better than the other version. I agree with you. The strings added something to it, a tension. Uh, um, I really liked it, uh, actually. Uh, I'm going to give it a 3.5. All right. Scott. Wow. I'm actually going to give this one a 2.5. Um, I, I don't feel it was a necessary version to do. I think that in terms of thinking of like Mistral Hall and imagine like walking into their home and seeing the, the torches on the wall and just the, the mood and everything, this is kind of an ominous staccato version and I, I don't think it matches the the song at all. I think if the strings would have been a little more smooth and not so, uh, you know, harshly played, I think it it would have been a much better version. But it just it doesn't really seem to match the theme of the song for me. Hmm. I'm going to give it a four, just like I did the original one. Um, I really like it. I like both versions. And I think it's kind of cool to I always like reprises and coming back to themes and stuff so that when they come back to it and add the strings in I, I think that's a really good way to close the album I don't know how Possum's Last Dance works as a closer if you depending on which version of this album you had you might be more familiar with that as the closer but I like the way that this works with the with the album um, yeah I think it's well if you guys remember last week I said that the last song on the first side we might find that that would have been a good way to end the album I'm going to stick with that. I think instead of going out on this kind of, you know, mellow, almost sad note that we ended this song with, I think to go out with a party would have been a better way to end it. I mean, if you think about like Renaissance fairs and things like that, they always kind of end with a bang. And I think this kind of just faded away. Yeah. I hear you. Um, Mm. Okay. Well, as John gets ready to fumble with the uh, spreadsheet here. Uh, I have something to do, and that is, of course, to thank our core level patrons, people who support us so well over the years. Um, Coming in at the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier, we have Michael Vader. At the $6.99 New Nice Price tier, we have Spike the Rock Cat and Sugar Tea. At the episode $6.66 tier, Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, and Anton Glaving. At the $6.65 Almost evil tier. We have Kenny Wymore now being uh, paired up with Michael Backford. And that is, of course, our patron upgrade. Thank you so much, Michael, for uh, upgrading your level. At the $5.99, the nice price tier, we have Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, and Carl Helberg. At the 60 kroner Scandinavian Knights tier, we have Zwapper the Electric Alchemist and Newt Morton Johansson. At the $5.55 What's Going On Here tier, we have Richard Fusey. And at the $5 Moneylender tier, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Eilman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zerns, Cynthia Doobie, and Raf Kaff. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the show. All right. So you know what time it is now. We'll just put a sitting out the spreadsheet And he's fumbling with 
All Damn right. funky. <laughs> Damn funky. All right, John, where does Blackmore's Night, uh, Shadow of the Moon, rank in our overall album ratings? Uh, this ra- uh, ranks uh, close to the bottom. Um Right beneath Stranger in Us All. Oh, look at that. Oddly enough. And a little bit above Fandango, which I believe is JLT's That's the Fandango. JLT Fandango, yeah. Yes. So, but, um, yeah, uh, like right near Stranger in Us All. So it's a, uh, a, a, a 5.81 rating. So that's um, that's pretty low. I already knew when that was low. Um, um, just looking at it before sorting it, um, the... The combined rating was um, with guests is 8.88, which is our lowest rating with guests as well. Mm. Wow. So, um, but I mean, have we, I don't think we've had on like two, two guest rated raters at the same time. So that could have, we uh, never had, which is why I added the, um, the average column here. So as uh, to average the scores. um, Yeah. So Uh, Nate, always thinking of everything. So I put the the average rating still the bottom one with guests still still on the bottom. <laughs> Although you guys would have probably would have helped like elevate it a little bit, um, I think. But um, well, usually when you guys have a guest on, it's somebody who's a huge fan of whatever it is, mm. you know, be it you know a certain album or a certain artist, which I that think true. brings the rating up. Whereas, I mean. I wouldn't call myself a fan of Blackmore's Night. I probably don't despise it as much as some people do. Some, um, some people I'm, I'm on more this open podcast. To it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm more open to it. And there are things I really like and things I don't like. So, um, you know, we give it 2.5s. And I also, you know, in some cases, we'll give it higher. Yeah, and I think well, the, the idea was having you guys on was to get more of that perspective, too. And I think we did. Um, uh, yeah, I... I it's it's tough because again it's this it's nothing about this i don't some people make it a joke some people are really harsh on it i don't have anything against it i think everything on this album for me is either something i really like or something i'm just that that's like it's just not for me you know this music is made for other people yeah. and that's right. kind of that's where my rankings come from it's not like right. yeah, i'm calling this crap or anything it's i mean later, like, later yeah. on Later on, there are some songs, spoiler alert, I'll give fives to, but there's also songs later on that, to me, become almost laughably bad. Mm-hmm. This stuff, this album, doesn't have any of that. It's, mm. like you said, Nate, it's either, you know, I like it or it's pretty good or it's just not for me, but it's still good. It's still played well. It's still sang well. It's, um, But there's... A little later on, I get there are a couple of them I'm just like, oh, okay, that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, it's an album I will play yeah. every so often too. Like, it's not something mm-hmm. I, you know, I I listened to it a few times when it came out, and I didn't listen to it too much after that. But every so often, I'll you know, if I'm in the mood, I'll I'll put it on, and there's some songs on it I really dig. I feel like I'll, I'll never, <clears throat> I'll probably never listen to it again. I mean, um, it's not, um, you know, didn't come come uh, come at it from a place of hate, but you know, it was uh, I mean, I found a couple of things on it that I enjoyed, but it's not enough to ever want to play anything from it again. 
We're I'll not doing a writings on the wall dance party later. <laughs> I would. I'll be, I'll be curious to see where this album ranks amongst the Blackmore's Night albums because, like I said, I really feel John's like this like, oh, was. No. <laughs> as we'll find the, out uh, over hey, John, the other fifteen Blackmore's <laughs> Night over the course oh of the uh, the next consecutive sixteen weeks as we dig into their catalog. Um, next season, can I just maybe. like can I dip out for those? Could you just have these guys on in my place? Yeah. You, you only have so much PTO, yeah. Podcast about a famous 70s band is looking for a co-host. Please contact me at <laughs> deeppurplepodcast.com. The, the good news and slash bad news is the next two, in my opinion, are probably the two best. Mm-hmm. But that just means that the... 12 or so after that are going to be a, a trudge. Don't, don't, don't forget to put in your ad. Are you a fan of Hoagie Carmichael? <laughs> <laughs> Looking for a fan Jesus. of Hoagie Carmichael. Yeah. I, I, I do think that one thing that, that is important to consider when, when thinking about the ratings it's not all apples to apples comparisons. It's not like you're you're ranking rock and roll albums against rock and roll albums. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of these are side projects. Some things were big, some things weren't. Completely different styles of music. Um, so it's it's really hard to pit things against each other that that don't really match up. Um, if you're a big fan of rock and roll, but you just don't get into Renaissance music, mm-hmm. not calling you out, John, but but just in general. Um, you're automatically going to put this lower on your scale. So it's it's really tough when when doing those comparisons, but like I I just tried to take the song by the song and but when you stack right. it up against like rising, it's yeah. never going to be rainbow rising. It's never going to be infinite or anything like that. Um, but as a Renaissance album, I think it's a great album, but I also think this is like a youthful album in their progression. And I'd say too that right. um, yeah. I appreciate this album and I appreciate what they're doing and I, there's lots of stuff on it I like. And for what it is, I think it does a really, really good job of being what it is. It's also a first album, so it's a little experimental. They didn't really know where they were going. Was this going to be a one-off? And if you read like the Darker Than Blues at the time too, all of the things are like, oh, Richie's taking a little break from Rainbow to do this Blackmore's Night project. And yet little do they know it's never really happening again. Um, yeah. So it was just this kind of, you know, the much the f- way the first Rainbow album is where it's a little disjointed because they were just kind of throwing some stuff together and you don't really know. But so I think this does a really good a- a job of what it is now. Something like Warhorse, I think, is a very poor example of what they were trying to go for. You know, like I don't. I, I rank this higher than Warhorse. I I I have put this on and would put this on again, whereas I would not just sit there and listen to a Warhorse album. Um, so it's like, well, for what they're doing and for the people that love them, I mean, they, the, their fans are fanatical and as they should be, because th- this is there's not a lot of bands of this stature that do what they do and do it so well. I mean, so there's a lot to really like about them. And, you know, again, take another example like Warhorse. I, they're, they they have their people who say these are pretty decent albums, but overall, I don't think they do a good job of what they're trying to do at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's nice, too, to just hear Richie doing something he's enjoying. And you can really feel that in his playing. I think he puts a lot of effort into this album, where if you listen to an album like Who Do We Think We Are, uh, where a lot of songs he's barely present. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I like the fact that you can feel his passion in this music. I'm surprised that Ian Anderson and and Richie haven't 
hooked up to do a little side project or yeah, you know, do something more together. Didn't he play live with them at some point, like like for a one off or something? Not sure. Yeah, I, I know I, he did with Uriah Heat, but I don't know if he did with Blackmore's Night. Yeah, I, I, for some reason I want to say he did, but I don't know for sure. Um, but yeah, overall, it's just kind of about where I was expecting things to go with this album, and I'm really glad we had a chance to do it because it was really a lot of fun uh, listening to it and going through it and having the different perspectives. And um, you know, what, if you're a Blackmore's Night fan, you might be listening to this and saying, "Oh, you've got it all wrong." But hey, if, well, you know, how how much did the ratings diverge on this one. Like, let's see. You guys usually are pretty in lockstep. How far apart were you guys on these? Oh, the um, the variants. They diverged yeah. more than usual, quite a bit. I felt like between the four of us, it really diverged. And I, the thing yeah. I found interesting was songs that you know one person really liked, other people really didn't like, and then vice versa. It was it's kind of interesting. You know, looking through it, it looks like the only album where we diverged. Uh, of the exact same amount was Stormbringer, oddly enough. And the only wow. one we diverged more on was Who Do We Think We Are? Both of those cases where I was had higher rankings. Damn, that place in line. That <laughs> place in line really did it. Did you know, it mine, mine was the lowest. Yeah, mine were the lowest out of uh, everybody's. Yeah, not surprising. Well, there. we expected that. Right. I, I do like yeah. the fact, though, I feel, John, that, that you were a lot more open to to the songs than I I thought you might be, um, and I I don't mean to be mean when I say that, but you were you were not looking forward to doing this episode, right? And um, yeah, you took I, up I, like a champ there, buddy. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the fact that you really did give the songs a chance, and you weren't you weren't coming in with a all right, let's just get through this kind of attitude because going into listening to, and, and rating music that you're it's not your genre, that's a tough thing to do. And so John, you know, I'll be four, curious to see, sake, you know, yeah. And the fatigue factor is gonna, is gonna wear on yeah. you too. Yeah. I mean, by yeah. week 16, you're just <laughs> going to be giving out fives, but not even listening. They're well, all no, it'll actually be, it'll be week 32 because you got to split them. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, right. Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> well, it's almost a year of Blackmore. John's not <laughs> coming back from Italy now. <laughs> <laughs> you got changes in the well, I mean that's what the though I mean that's what the whole that's what the whole show though is about though is is coming in with with an open mind. So I'm like yeah. uh I mean I I've, I've done it with a few albums recently including like the the last Rainbow album knowing that I hadn't heard it for a while and remembering that I didn't like it that much but thinking hey maybe I liked it better than I remembered, which I mean, I didn't, but I still gave it a chance. <laughs> right, yeah. uh, but uh, I think, um, what is it? Um, um, uh, the last, um, the last uh, Purple album with Richie. Um, Battle Rages On. Battle Rages On, yeah, I couldn't um, think of it for some reason. Yeah, that one had a lot more, like, there's a lot more stuff on that that I liked than I remembered. Um, didn't actually come from the album. It came from like, uh, subsequently we listened to a lot of like the live stuff from that tour. And like when he was, when Satriani was with him and everything, I'm like, okay, these are some good songs. Like, especially like songs like Anya and Battle Rages On. It's like, all right, this is some cool stuff that I've been kind of sleeping on for years. So sometimes it goes the other way. Yeah. That that was the album that had the other version of Anya. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, um, (laughs) So on your night, on your 1916, uh, <laughs> I've got, um, the review from darker than blue. 
uh, issue number 50, February 1998. <laughs> so at this point, Simon Robinson is uh, pretty anti-Richie. Uh, so he actually didn't review it at all. His brother reviewed this album. Um, so this That's is, getting lazy. <laughs> his, his, brother, um, his brother, Nick. So uh, he says... Um, as a guitarist of 30 years pro and amateur experience, I know only too well the difficulties in recording your advancing years with the desire for musical profession, uh, progression. rather. Offhand, I can only think of one elder statesman guitarist, Beck, who still retains the fire and inventiveness of those days. It is fair to expect any guitarist uh, to, uh, to continually expand his musical horizons while retaining the spark of his youth in his playing. Unfortunately not. Guitarists are only human after all. Will a diehard fan still hope for that? Inevitably. Uh, he goes through kind of song by song, mentions some of the things we mentioned, mentions not liking the synthesized musical instruments. Um, at the end, he says, um, so what does this leave us with? I applaud him for breaking his self-adopted mold, taking the odd chance, um, authentic medieval structures and playing, sympathetic production. Clearly articulated acoustic work, fairly catchy melodies, incredible singing. I mark it down as a lack of passion throughout with RB as guilty as Candace with far less excuses to his name. Candace should be proud of her debut, but will hopefully gain in confidence as their personal and musical relationship develops. Nick, don't shoot me. I'm only his brother Robinson. And then Simon adds on. My thanks for all the mail and especially to Nick for tackling this delicate task with far more lenient hand than I would have brung to it. We played the CD, myself and Anne at first, with interest, feeling at last he tackled something, if not radically new, then at least a little different. As the disc wore on, however, our frustration grew. The very flat vocal approach, almost country and western feel, set out, um, set out one level and simply stayed there. Fine with a couple of songs, but deadly dull over whole CD. I have absolutely no idea where Blackmore intended to go with this record, though as he uh, had total control, one can assume he did what he set out to do. But he seems insured with a reasonable audience if he wants to pursue this avenue further. To me, the CD doesn't really satisfy on any level. It neither works emotionally, being almost totally devoid of feeling, nor does it threaten to break any boundaries anywhere. And it certainly won't find any admirers amongst the true fans of true ancient music and who has tapes of that sort of music assures me that technically Blackmore is absolutely spot on, but at the price of losing any shred of soul in his playing, save from the odd spot of electric work here and there, which shows he still has what it takes to move mountains. Wow. There. So that's what the brothers Robinson say. Yeah. I kind of saw your face, Scott, when he said a country Western and then you kind of like, yeah, the face kind of scrunched. That's up. a little I weird. Felt yeah. the same thing. That that yeah. really felt off for me. I've played in in a traditional country western band playing like old fifties and sixties country music. Mm -hmm. I I don't see that in this at all. No, no. So I, I, I did find that a bit odd. I have one more very short review. So when this after this was released, uh, more black than purple. Jerry Bloom's magazine was um, a little more favorable to this. Um, they had a bunch of readers write into the magazine. Um, and we have one little and they're short little blurbs. Uh, so this one says a reader writes into more black than purple. Um, Richie wanted to make an album like this for years, and it's just a really good album. It's very well produced. I like Candace's singing on it, 
He's playing very well. It's just a really nice departure, and it's very well played. I think it's really good. I hope he does well with it. Quite surprised, but very pleasantly surprised. Cozy Powell. Wow. So, so Cozy was Cozy. D- digging what he did on this album. Of course, Cozy, a, a big fan of ABBA. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Might be, did Cozy like ABBA too? Oh, yeah. There was a story that Richie told about, uh, I don't know where they were, if it was Long Live Rock and Roll or, or uh, Rising, but uh, they were in a room just hanging out, listening to music, and, and Cozy said, you know who my favorite band is? ABBA. And Richie says, I looked at him and I said, me too. <laughs> and, and let's get together <laughs> to make something completely different. Right, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I could see it. There's, there's, I, I like ABBA. I think they're a great band. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I like when people who like from Richie's regular genre, rock and roll come in and say, I like what he's doing. I, I think this is great. Do more if that's what you want. Um, I wouldn't have thought that Cozy would have said anything, but, uh, I like that he did. So in this booklet that comes with the, uh, the record release, um, there's an interview and I think it's a newer interview. Um, with Richie and Candace, and Richie kind of goes off the rails like he does in all interviews. And if you've seen any <laughs> with him, him and um, Candace recently, like we've, t- I think we talked about in the last episode, they tend to. Um, he'll usually come back. He'll make some sort of joke somewhere in the interview, and then he comes back to it. And in this one, it's it, for some reason he just starts he, talking about Clint Eastwood in every single answer uh, <laughs> to every question. Um, So it says, can you please tell us uh, something about your fellow musicians at the time of Shadow of the Moon? Richie said, uh, Richie says something about it being challenging and Candace Knight says challenging. And he says, exactly. It was challenging, especially because Clint Eastwood was not around anymore. And then he says, um, uh, he goes on to talk about something else. He says, sometimes we didn't have a real hurdy gurdy. So we just had to sample one and stuff like that. But it seemed to work out despite Clint Eastwood not being there. Then he says, uh, they says, is it true that Shadow of the Moon was originally uh, thought for the Japanese market? He says, there were some reports we did it uh, just for a single for Japan, which is not true at all. I don't know where that came from. It was probably a rumor started by Clint Eastwood. And he just goes on and on in like every. (laughs) Weirdo. (laughs) And they printed this in this booklet that comes with the album. He just keeps talking. There's like a few more instances of it, too. So it's well worth uh, checking out because it's just Richie being wacky, zany Richie. I you love what you're like. <sighs> I like Shadow of the Moon. <laughs> or is that Batman? I don't know. It's more Batman. I, I love when Richie has a bit that yeah. he uses it, like in an interview. That's always fun. Like, my favorite one is when he talks about how he met Mozart and Mozart wasn't looking well. Oh, yeah. In fact, he was quite <laughs> dead. And he just leaves these really long pauses to see what kind of reaction he's going to get. Yeah, he's totally straight faced, <laughs> yeah. Very much so, yeah. I, he would be a great poker player. <laughs> He would be great. I, I feel that he and I would get along well. I was just thinking. That. <laughs> it's like we should start like a new game. Like who who said it, Richie or Rich? Who quotables? Richie or Richie? Rich or Richie? Who said yeah. it first? Yeah, you you and Richie would get along just fine. So um, I had one of my best lines ever yesterday. 
And of course, nobody is there to appreciate it except one of my friends who who didn't appreciate it. Went into a uh, restaurant and we were waiting for kind of a long time, actually a, a really long time. But it was just the bartender waiting on all the tables in the bar. And she came over. She goes, I am really sorry about the wait. I said, no, it's not your fault. I eat too much and I don't exercise enough. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's good. Yeah, she didn't get. She didn't get it though. <laughs> it's too bad. That's good. my favorite uh, thing I've ever said was just a couple of months ago, and I don't even remember mm-hmm. what it was about. But my response to something was: there are so many red flags on this. It was like the blood getting off the elevator in The Shining. <laughs> uh, there you go. Some our our best material doesn't get enough. Goes underappreciated. Right, yeah. All right. So before we wrap it up here, we of course have to thank our foundation level patrons coming in at the three pound aromatic feed tier. We have Simon Ford coming in at the three dollar thirty three cent halfway to evil tier. Stephen Sharp and Duncan Leesk. Who have been thinking twice again lately, so I gotta make sure we're moving from the second part. There we go. At the three dollar nobody's perfect tier, Peter Gardeau, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Stuart McCord, Flight of the Rat Bat Blue Light, Ivan Fieldboo. Runar Siemensen. JJ Stenard. Ruinous Inadequacies. John Maselli. Tanya, Tanya, my little lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) And Michael Boyette. Coming in at the $1.71, I want my own tier, tier. Rich, Yangui, Shailor. At the 10 kroner tier, Karsten Lau. At the one pound tier, Lord Longford. At the $1 made up name tier, we have the Spirit of the Sea, Leaky Mausoleum. Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic. Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel and <coughs> Blackmore Tights. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the show. I, all right, I, that's I, it, I guys. Half ex- I half expected when I was at the Red Sox game and they announced my name, I, I half expected to hear John's dad. <laughs> and now with our national anthem. <laughs> that would be great. If we had an in at Fenway Park and we... Shyler. <laughs> we get to the soundboard. Hey, when you announce his name, play this. I'm sure, that would have I'm, been sure, the, I'm sure you can edit it. <laughs> that would have been the absolute ultimate practical joke. Like, I, I don't know that I would have been able to sing after that. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. We would have messed you all up. <laughs> and the rocket's red glare. <laughs> Yang, wait, 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 wait. Shailor, I love, Nate, that you that you talked about your mistake announcing people twice and then the very next one was nobody's perfect. Yeah, well, that's very ah, true. <laughs> see, Scott Scott picked up on that. I did not. And I really <clears throat> hope, I really hope that somewhere Tony Danza listens to this show. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Tanya, my little lasagna. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> See, I knew I'd be appreciated in my time. <laughs> I got to say, I admire Nate for always, you know, coming up with something for Leaky Mausoleum. 
Yeah, it's very creative. I've been doing this. Leaky's been keeping me busy for a while now. I know. Yeah. Of course, there's of course there's the times where I don't come up with something, and I'm like, oh shit, I gotta do something. <laughs> on the fly. You, know, you, always got, you always come up with something, though, even yeah, on the last fly. Last week like... or the week before, like you were like really stumbling, you got to it, and I could tell you were like, uh oh, <laughs> I, <forgot laughs> yeah, like, I forgot to come up with something ahead of time. Yeah, it's it, well, I, I look in the quotes, and it's either there's nothing in between the quotes, or or there's the thing that I did last episode because <laughs> I forgot to change it. And I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> Uh, what are you gonna do? But yeah, we did. We did it. We did the first Blackmore Night album. We knew this day would come. Um, I uh, can't believe we're two hundred something episodes into the show, and we're actually in the nineties and talking about these long. I would say, like so many of these things, I think I talked about last time. It's just man, sixteen songs is an awful lot for an album. That's like yeah. a double album, basically. This, you know, yeah, yeah. When you think back to In Rock, which was what uh, seven songs. And, and, you know, it's that CD medium really changed things to where, okay, now we have an exact amount of time. Let's raise the price and fill it as much as we can. And I don't get that. I don't get why they felt they had to because you were you were buying CDs at this time of old albums that were 35, 40 minutes long. This, This album is 65 21 65 minutes long that's you know almost filling us they could fit maybe one or two more songs on there but that's it yeah i I mean mean, it had to have been a money grab it had to be yeah i mean you look at it from a uh like a marketing perspective they were probably like all right here's this new technology like people are going to want bang for their buck so but i mean you had filler on seven song albums so to not expect the majority of it to be filler on a 16 cut album Right, yeah. That's a good point. I, and I, I like to play that game, actually, um, with my friends. I've probably done it with you guys. Is where you just pick an album from the 90s or whatever and go through and say, all right, you're limited to, you know, 44 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Pick pick the tracks you would put on a 44-minute album, and it's usually an outstanding album yeah, because be you're just taking the, you're yeah. taking the best of the best of that stuff, you know? But yeah, I think you could have done eight. 10, even 12 wouldn't be great is, you know, nobody would bat an aisle at 10, 12 tracks, but 16 right. is like, yeah. yeah. I think John, John Hyatt's last couple albums have been like seven or eight songs each. And that's his theory is this is what that's an album supposed it. was You're like, why, why do we have to change that? You know, it's funny. You think about the making a machine head and they're like, well, we need one more track because we're a track short for this album and you get smoke in the water. You know, one of the most iconic <laughs> songs in rock history. And mm-hmm. now it's like, all right, guys, we have 14 more minutes. We need at least three more songs to put on the CD to, to really fill it up. So what what crap were you working on that you can throw together? <laughs> you know, well, especially I, for, yeah. the, for the John Hyatt point with so much stuff being streaming now, like there's just it's unlimited now. So you can yeah. almost go in the other direction where it, it doesn't right. matter because there is no physical medium. There's no, there's no limitation. You're not going to make a fourth, 4,000 song album. So right. why not? I just do release? see a lot of guys just doing like singles or, you know, yeah. one or two yeah. EP. And then, you know, after two or three years, they take all those songs and they, you know, call it the EP collection or the, you right. know, the, COVID collection or whatever, you know, and I think that's a great route to go. Well, that's been a theory for the last couple of years that albums are really not important anymore. I mean, bands can can still tour and have released a bunch of individual singles that will get individual attention, whereas you release an album with 14, 15 tracks on it, one or two or maybe three of those will get attention as a single because you've scheduled the release of those particular songs before the album, 
but the rest of the tracks are meaningless because they just came out with the album. Whereas if you release individual songs and you have a marketing campaign or even just social media posts about it, each song will get a little bit more attention. So it's, it's, the, the digital age has really changed everything. And I read a lot of marketing stuff and, and I, I get where they're coming from on that. Where it gets weird is then, you know, when it comes to the tours, because you really don't know what to expect a band is going to play because you really don't know what's a hit and what isn't a hit anymore. I want you to check out our new concept single. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something like Alice Cooper would would have to do albums, you know, or, or, you know, if Queensryche were to do Operation Mindcrime now, it would have to be done as an album because that stuff isn't going to work as a single. But if you take Deep Purple and Rock, every one of those songs could have been released as an individual song Mm -hmm. um, and probably done quite well. So just Hoagie Carmichael wouldn't have done that. (laughs) 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 To give you a little perspective, the next. Uh, album under Violet Moon is 58 minutes. The album after that, Fires at Midnight, 70 minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> poor, poor John. John just had an aneurysm. John's going to be, John's going to put in uh, a, a PTO request yeah, uh, for that. How much PTO have I accrued in the uh, Deep Purple podcast uh, LLC? Here, here's what John's going to do he's while we're listening. He's going to medical leave. He, he's going to He's going to look at the times for the songs and he's just going to mute his headphones while the song is playing and they just come back and give it a two. <laughs> or, or just get a cutout of himself and put it in front of the camera. You know, actually, you know, it'd be fun for the next album just for giggles like John go through just the song titles and give them a rating based just on the song title. And then that would be good. Yes. And then see what, see if they match right, up see. with what your actual rating yep. is. All right, let's do that. Yeah. You get, you got to have little games to make it fun. If you're right. like, you know, <laughs> or John, or John could listen to the album in advance, give his ratings and then just not be there for the episode. Just say, well, John, when he listened to this, he said, this was a two. Yeah. This was a All right, 3.5. And, uh, 2.5 by proxy. Okay. And his yeah, note John, was... John gave me his proxy vote. And, and his note was, I really liked Richie's playing on this song. <laughs> Very generic. Yeah. Uh, the, the song Mona Lisa from um, Under a Violet Moon gets uh, gets a 3.5, but little does John know, there was no track called Mona Lisa on that album. I, I made that up. So we know he didn't listen. And John's note was, was this song Mona is as small as the painting itself. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh. Yeah. I, think right, guys, you, I think well, you Googled Hoagie Carmichael and Simpsons because that's the first thing that comes up is Mona yeah. Lisa. Oh, wow. <laughs> Played by Bleeding Gums go. Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks right, for having me on well, again, guys. It's always a good time. Thank you for being here, guys. Yes. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, guys. Fun. Much appreciated. Um, and we'll see you. Uh, I don't know when the next time we'll get to Blackmore's Night is. We'll, that will <laughs> depend on John. Next week. And our behind-the-scenes negotiations. Give me a rest. Yeah. Please. But. Um, there's so much stuff to cover anyway. Well, you know, who knows how, how what the frequency will, will be, but it was a lot of fun. Well, I'm sure we'll see you guys back in some other respect, probably before Blackmore's Night, but we'll see. All right. All right Thanks, guys. everybody. Have Thanks, a great guys. day. John, right. see you in a little bit. All right. See you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates.
See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. I wonder if that's a thing. You know, they say that there's a fetish for everything. I wonder if there's like a national anthem groupie (laughs) kind of thing out there. Yeah. God, I hope so. (laughs) Georgia. Georgia. The whole day through. Just an old sweet song keeps Georgia. On my mind Georgia on my mind Each day Georgia, my honey A song of you Comes as sweet and clear As moonlight through 